Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Sherba, and today I'm extremely excited to be sitting down with Akeem Gardner, the CEO and co-founder of Atlas 365. Team, been looking forward to this one for a little while. We go way back. I think this is going to be a great conversation, but let's let's jump right into it. Can you take us through your career journey leading up until this point? No, thank you, Peter. I'm very excited to be here and show people how I've owned my potential, especially over the last four years. It's been a crazy journey. Um, I'm Akeem Gardner. I'm CEO of Canerta Inc. We're a Canadian-based biotech company. Um, today, we're actually raising a $2 million seed round to develop novel first-in-class therapies that promise to eliminate the problem of chronic inflammation and disease. But how I got here, being a former athlete growing up in Brampton and not going to school for any science at all, has been a crazy journey. <laughs> you know, uh, um, you alluded alluded to it when you told me a couple of years ago, you saw me uh, on, a, on a farm with a pitcher uh, in a hat, some farm equipment. What was I doing there? Right. Um, the, who, who knew I was going to be on this journey years ago? On, and I'm excited to share how I got here today. So, um. I grew up in Brampton, um, Brampton, Ontario, right out in the GTA. Um, we played basketball growing up. We went to high school together. Before I left, you went to St. Marguerite DeVille. And that's where I sort of started to um, take basketball a little, little bit seriously, almost in this golden era of Canadian basketball, right? That's right. Um, um, as you know, a lot of the people who grew up with us in the Peel region um, got the opportunity to play basketball at the professional level. And um, it was really nice and a good world experience for us getting these experiences, knowing these guys, seeing their journey, because it almost gave us a little bit of an inside peek as to what the world of sports and the business of sports looks like. That's right. I didn't I didn't get the height, so I ended up going to play basketball at University of Ottawa, right? But an amazing experience there. I was a GG for three years where I got my degree while playing. Um, I did psychology and philosophy. After that, I just spent two years from 2013 and 2014 coaching basketball, spent a year at Ryerson. Um, and then I really I thought to myself, like, I don't really think coaching is the thing that I want to do, but maybe something like more of a general manager type-ish a job would be better suited for me. You know, something yeah. where you get to bring people together. You get to, and I thought something that I would even get to maybe travel a bit, right? Um, so maybe something like an Olympic committee, if you will, right? What do all GMs have? Well, they all seem to have law degrees. Well, I have an opportunity now maybe to go to law school and from back in the day, I had heard that people were able to take their Canadian degrees and go to law school in Europe. So I said, you know what? I'm 25 at the time. Maybe this will be like one last adventure for me. I get to go to school, do all the things that I never did when I was playing basketball at University of Ottawa and get this legal degree and see where that takes me. So from 2015 to 2017, I hopped across the pond, went to the United Kingdom and got a really, really nice degree in um um, legal analysis. I got my bachelor of laws. Um, and it was really interesting time when I got my degree as well, because in 2015, we had the Paris climate accord. That's right. 2016, we had Brexit. So like, as the world was going through things, I was learning it live from the British perspective. So that was really cool and really innovative for me. Um, 2017, I returned home to Canada and everything changed, right? I now had this new experience, this new perspective, and things that were going on here in Canada were seemed to make sense to me now. The big thing was the legalization of marijuana, right? Um, that was everywhere. That was a right. unique opportunity to me and something that I thought maybe we could um, leverage, take advantage of, right? The other thing that was going on is I kept on hearing these words, smart contracts, right? And that kind of scared me because I was like, I just spent all this money to go to law school, right? Um, don't tell me some AI contract is going to come take my future job. Like I got, that's right. That's right. So smart contracts is, is blockchain technology. And that comes up a little bit later in the story, but back to, back to the marijuana angle. Um, 
when I come back, come back home, um, my best friend, business partner, Randy, he was running a sports management company, right? He was working with some of these athletes that we had grown up with, bringing them marketing, branding deals. And I said to Randy, you know, um, Randy, because I have this out of country law degree, um, if I want to get a legal job somewhere on Bay Street, I'll probably have to start as even like a legal assistant or a legal intern or maybe a paralegal or something, right? Not even, um, I would have, I would be at a disadvantage because I didn't come from a Canadian law school, right? right? So I'm not, we're not doing that, right? I had a part-time job that I had to work that was really good to me. I worked at the Woodbine Racetrack, right? I'm like, I don't think I have it in me to go and do a, like an internship again. Right. But Randy, maybe I can work with you to see if we can like, um, turn your management company into an agency. Randy was like, Akeem, you know what? Come, let's do all the work we can. I get deals all the time. I don't have capacity. Let's work on it together. Right. And I said, cool. One day someone called Randy from the States, a guy who was looking for football players, CFL players, because he had heard that marijuana was about to be legal in Canada and he wanted to get some of the guys involved. Randy immediately, immediately, no hesitation. No, we can't do this. What are you talking about? Get guys involved with weed? No. I was like, Randy, hold on a second. Let's hear this guy out. Something's going on and I know it's not legal yet, right? But if we pay attention to what's going on right now and if we position ourselves the right way, we're going to legalize here in Canada before they do in the States. Right. Right. And this is, and it puts us and any Canadian board athlete at, at an advantage, because if you look at the NFL and the NBA, they're not going to make things. Um, um, they're not going to normalize things until the federal government legalizes it all the way around. Yeah. It could be right. state to state, but the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, whatever league they operate across all States. Right. That's right. So I said, something interesting is going on here. The other thing that I thought to myself was, if we look at this like at like alcohol prohibition back in the day, um, fast forward 80 years, 90 years, alcohol companies are the partners of all of the major sports leagues. They're all over the place. They're normalized, right? Beer is normalized. The same thing's going to happen with marijuana. So Randy, maybe if we can take the opportunity to really dive in here, see what's going on, we could prepare ourselves for a better tomorrow. Randy was like, yeah, right. <laughs> he was like, the NBA will blackball me. We cannot do anything in this space. Right. You know what, Randy? It's okay. I just learned this thing called separate corporate personality. Maybe we start a new company. Let's co-found one together and let me go investigate what's going on in the space. Right. When I figure it out, then you come back in and then you bring the athletes. So Randy was like, all right, cool. <laughs> And that's how that's how I turned into an entrepreneur. Now he's got plausible deniability. Exactly right. He has this separately. Hey, Akeem's doing whatever he wants to do, but if he figures it out, we can bring the athletes. In. <laughs> Perfect. So this is that was the moment, the conversation, or how I became an entrepreneur. And at that point, it was on me to sort of figure out what was going on. This was around January, no, January, June, July, August of 2017. And the first thing that I started off by doing was calling all the major companies, the major LPs and saying, hey, I work with professional athletes. We've heard about CBD, the therapeutic benefits, and we want to get involved. And everyone sent their CMO, their marketing person, um, a branding person to come visit me and to have the conversation. And with this, I was learning a lot about what was going on. Right. But I also was doing my homework myself and learning about all these unique things, these new unique words, phrases that I was hearing in the industry. Every time there was an event, I was um, downtown meeting with people. And actually, you know what I used to learn a lot in the early days? I used Twitter. I actually went on Twitter, followed all these different industry leaders and turned on my notifications for just those people. Right. So that every time I would look up on my phone, I knew exactly what was going on. Because again, we were in the midst of legalization. And I want to see what was going on. I was learning a lot. And one day I learned or I learned that um, about this plant called the industrial hemp plant. And this plant fascinated me because I was learning that one, it had no THC. Right. So that's bingo. Get that out of the way. Right. 
Two, the hemp seeds were very nutritious. People were eating it as part of a plant-based, high-protein diet. Children were even eating hemp seeds. And this was music to my ears because I was like, if children are eating hemp seeds, the NBA is never going to say no to it. They're going to allow people to, like, this has to be first. It's not going to be recreational marijuana. And at that point, I said, hey, throw marijuana aside. Let's just focus on hemp. It also had the additional advantages of two things that I was extremely excited about because I, again, I just went to law school um, in a country that is impacted by climate action, climate change, I should say. Right. Um, The hemp plant not only absorbed carbon dioxide at high amounts, they say one acre of hemp, it absorbs carbon dioxide at four times the rate of an acre of trees. But then when you cut down the hemp plant, you can use it its fibers for things like plastic recycling, um, um, clothing, rope, um, so on and so forth. And the herd, the woody core of the plant could be used for sustainable building materials, carbon neutral green building materials. This idea fascinated me. The first reason was because I knew that climate action and climate change was a bit big thing. And if we can build climate resilient housing for the future, that would benefit all of us. Right. Two, when I was at law school, I had seen or learned about um, treaties, what they mean and how member states need to go back to their sovereign states and enact legislation to keep up with what was in the treaty. So it was very interesting to me when I came back and I saw that the Canadian government was actually um, enacting laws to keep up with what it had signed on to in the Paris Climate Accord. Right, right, right. And the one thing that I learned that took me was that at the year 2030, all new buildings built in Canada need to be carbon neutral. By 2050, all buildings need to be retrofitted to be carbon neutral. And here I was now learning about this plant that could provide not only food, medicine, and clothing, but also potentially our future building materials for a climate-resilient, carbon-neutral future. This is when my head exploded. I was like, hey, we have to do something here. Right. Now, um, at this time, I was still going around networking and meeting all these different LPs, and I was asking all of them, hey, do you have anyone involved in the space? Do you do, do anything with hemp? And no one did anything with hemp. They just wanted marijuana and CBD, right? So one day, I'll never forget, I was walking my dogs at night. The stars were out. Sometimes I walk, look at the stars, think in my head, right? And I'm, um, it just hit me, right? Why am I trying to sell my athletes to these other companies? If I can build something myself, I get to keep the athletes. They become our value prop, right? And this is when, I, when it clicked. We got to figure out how to build the industrial hemp supply chain in Ontario. So what do I do? Took a flight to Calgary, Alberta, and went to meet all the innovative companies and people over there that were involved in the hemp supply chain, all the biggest stakeholders. And I met a company out there that was doing something really unique that, again, um, impacted me. They were making a load-bearing structural hempcrete block, manufacturing in a facility. They were doing it semi, semi-annually and, and uh, um, um, they weren't up and running and it wasn't this big, amazing plant. But when I looked at it and saw the materials, I was like, hey, this is coming to Ontario one way or another, right? And Terry's like, yes. And I'm like, Terry, what do I need to be able to bring this to Ontario? Like, I want to be involved. I want to be there. Um, again, this is in 2018. Had, uh, now we're in 2018, heading into summer of 2018. Terry said, Akeem well, you guys need more hemp. At that time, we had done about 900 acres of hemp in Ontario. You need about 10,000 acres to be able to run one of these manufacturing plants. So I was like, all right, Terry, cool. Makes sense. On the flight home, I get this crazy idea. Akeem, got to grow hemp. (laughs) Figure it out. Um, Timing plays a big part of my story because things seem to always line up for timing for me. And I don't know how or why. It's like universal intelligence or God looking out, right? Yeah. Um, And around this time, one of the unique things that had happened was my mom had a, or I had my line of credit that I had used to go to law school. And my mom said, okay, Akeem, the remortgage is coming up, right? The refinancing is coming up. I can take care of your line of credit. 
So we ended up doing that, right? I think we did it like two, three, two, three months before. So when I, on my way home, I said to my mom, hey, mom, you see all the work I've been doing, running around, I've been doing. I think there's an opportunity here. Cannabis, uh, CBD is not legal yet, but I think if we grow the plant, if we grow the industrial hemp plant, which has been legal in Canada since 1998, that could be our window in. We can get involved in this industry before legalization hits. And I have to be able to sell the product when it hits, right? So my mom, like the mom, she is always supportive. Akeem, if you think you can do it, go out and do it. So what I do, That's huge. drive up, take a couple of trips up north of the city to Orangeville and whatnot, find 60 acres of land, put a lease down, a three-year lease down, and I take my law school education and I turn into a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's what happens, right? Now, at this point, I have no clue what I'm doing, right? I've never farmed a day before in the life. So I go driving around to other farmers in the area and ask them if they can help me get my hemp in the ground, right? I apply for a license, a license at Health Canada. Um, my late law school, it helped me to navigate the systems and be able to properly prepare myself, sign a lease, so on and so forth. But in right. regards to the physical work, no clue what I'm doing. I did know, though that I was an athlete, a former athlete. I'm used to working hard, working with my hands and feet. So how hard could farming be is what I thought. I didn't realize the problem wasn't getting the hemp in the ground. It was getting it out. Right. So that year I got my ass kicked. <laughs> Me, yeah. my, my parents, my best friends and everyone, we went out there in the farm every day with a four by four truck, some garden, garden clippers. We did ended up seeding 30 acres of hemp. The seeding of it went, went well, but we had to cut it out with our hands and our feet. Uh, we got our ass kicked in, in the field, but it was the best thing that I ever could have done. Right. Because what it did is it showed people in Ontario, the industry that Akeem, wasn't only the guy with big vision, the guy who wanted to manufacture these blocks here and build this supply chain, but he was actually willing to go out and work every day for it. And this is something that changed the tra trajectory and allowed me to be here. Uh, um, that year when I had come, I made an impression on a gentleman from OMAFRA, right? The Ontario Ministry of Food and Rural Affairs, right? Um, he had come to my farm. He saw what we wanted to do uh, with our hemp creek building materials. And he seemed to have taken a liking, a liking to me. So the next year t after 2018, and um, um, spoiler alert, didn't sell any hemp in 2018. <laughs> like it was a bust, right? We had a right. great time, proved it to everyone, but didn't sell anything. So we right. had to figure out, okay, how are we going to make our way out of this, right? How are we going to find money to continue to cash flow the business? Luckily, we were able to bring in an angel investor, um, Anthony Bennett, shout out to him, um, came and gave us some money to continue to learn and investigate what was going on. And and that brought us into the year of 2019. Now in 2019, I'm feeling pretty good. I have other farmers around me that I've proven myself to. Now we're going to grow together almost in sort of a co-op, right? and get the hemp seed in the ground, we're going to try to get a customer again. Um, that year, we actually had a customer heading into the year, but by the end of the year, they fizzled out. But it's okay, it happens, part of the story. Now, back to the call I got from the gentleman at Omafra. In our second year, he had said to me, Akeem, there's some professors at the University of Guelph, and what they want to do is do some research, some R&D to make a natural health product, but something that's not CBD. And I was like, what do you mean? What else is there? What's not CBD? And they were like, well, Akeem, I think there's a patent around it, but I'll introduce you to the professors and let them tell you. That's when a light bulb went off in my air. There's a patent. I want to know what's going on. Mahendra, tell the professors, come to the farm, take all the hemp they want, because that's my in to building a relationship with these professors. Right. When they get there, I meet the professors and they start to educate me on other things that are going on in the cannabis hemp plant, particularly around a novel group of molecules called flavonoids, and in particular, one molecule called canflavin. Now, this molecule was interesting because though it's been identified since the mid-1980s, it's been extremely rare and scarce to come by. It's usually found in under 0.014% of the plant. 
so hard to get to um, from the 1980s to now in a world of prohibition. It didn't make commercial sense to go looking for it because you couldn't commercialize the, the molecule anyways. Right. But in the 1980s, what they found was that that molecule was had 30 times the anti-inflammatory powers as ASA, the active ingredient in aspirin. Wow. This molecule is also non-toxic, non-psychoactive. And later on in 2014, it was proven unequivocally that these molecules were dual inhibitors of the body's pro-inflammatory pathways. Essentially, if you can shut down both pathways to inflammation, you shut it down at its source, no more inflammation. So these molecules had high therapeutic value, but no one had ever done anything before. Right. But now in 2019, a couple months after legalization in October of 2018, the professors were on my farm, right place, right time, looking to work with me to develop technology to extract these molecules. And that's what they did. In 2019, late in 2019, the professors filed a patent for these molecules. And though we were in a research contract, I was one of their partners supplying them biomass. They had eyes on a different firm that they were going to work with to commercialize these molecules. And I said, okay, that's fine. I get it. I'm a startup. I don't have deep pockets. This is like biotech is going to cost a lot of money. But if anything happens, I'm here. Right. <laughs> if anything happens, <laughs> right, just call me. Yeah. And, and the, we were able to stay in communication. I went down to the university. I took some visits. They showed me what was going on and everything was great as it was. At this time, I was still looking to seek my hemp building materials um, um, plan. I had a plan with Ontario farmers to grow maybe like 500 to 1,000 acres in Ontario. We wanted to do it big, build a house right here so everyone can see what I had seen out on the West Coast. And then in March of 2020, COVID hit. <laughs> Destroyed everyone's plans. Right. Destroyed everyone's plans, right? No one was financing anything anymore. Can't go to Farm Credit Canada. Can't go to RBC with our, our package. Akeem, who's going to buy all this hemp? No one knows what's going on in the market, et cetera, et cetera. I thought everything was over. And at that point, it was very scary for everyone. But for us, um, I was still a growing entrepreneur, budding entrepreneur. I was still resilient and gritty. And I knew that somewhere, somehow, and all the things that I put together over the last three years at that time, there had to be some value in um, 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 what we had built. And I said to myself, you know, there is the professors with that patent, right? Yeah. And well, they told me in December they were working with someone else. They must have been affected by COVID as well. And I haven't seen any news since the since December. So I picked up the phone and I called the professors and I made my pitch, my plea. Hey, professor, I've been hearing for months that you guys want to do these with these molecules. And I'm out here busting my butt trying to make something happen with the supply chain. If you give me the patent, I'll make sure this thing happens, right? COVID hasn't affected us. We're still in the same place and we still have people that want to hear about what we're doing but I need you guys to work with me. I need you to educate me on the science. And if the science is what you say it is, if it's as strong as an anti-inflammatory it is, I'll get the players on it. We'll bring Randy. We'll get right. the We can do this. We know yeah. that, right? But I need you to work with me. I need you to teach me what's going on. Thankfully for COVID, again, put us in the right place, right time, because it seems like COVID must have kicked the professors out of the lab for just long enough to force them to sit down and hear me and see that I was willing to do whatever it took to take their innovation and use it to build here in Ontario. At that point, we made a deal with the professors that they were going to work with us. We were going to be their commercialization partner. And over the next couple months, we were able to put together a deal that would allow us to acquire our first piece of intellectual property, an extraction technology that allows us to extract these novel canflavins out of the hemp plant, unique from CBD, none there, to create a new natural health product, something that can help people around the world deal with their inflammatory-related disease, their pain, in a non, non-toxic, non-psychoactive, non-addictive way. Right. Uh, with this, um, over the last two years from 2020 and up to this year in 2021, um, we've been able to grow as a company, growing through a pre-seed phase, acquire two more patents to 
um, in our portfolios um, with related molecules, allowing us to um, produce commercially these canflavins. I've been spending all my time reading research papers, learning about mechanisms of actions in the body, how it works, inflammatory related diseases, anti-cancer related diseases, neuroprotective properties of these molecules, what drug development pathways and uh, and things of the like um, are about. I've been using my legal experience to understand what go-to-market strategy is, regulatory strategy in Canada and the U.S., how to deal with Health Canada, deal with the FDA, and use this experience to um, make sure that we have a good plan that we can defend to investors as we try to raise our seed round. And I've been using all the skills that I learned in basketball to build a really, really awesome team that has grinded with me, hustled with me, and really carved itself into a team that I really believe has the ability to win a championship in the space. Right. Um, so this is what my last four years have been like um, since I took the leap into entrepreneurism. And it's been a crazy journey, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of lessons learned. But if you asked me, Peter, when we were sitting in class in grade nine, um, if you ever thought I was going to come here or be a scientist or doing something like this, never would have thought, right? No, Just no. All the ball bounces sometimes, right? A hundred percent. And and I think that this is exactly why I wanted to have you on here to talk mm -hmm. through this because this journey is just so exciting for me to dive into. Mm -hmm. I have so many questions, just even as I recap it, right? And to your point, back in grade nine, first day of high school, you and I are the only people that we know in that high school together. We're in a program called IB, mm -hmm. French class, 9 a.m., right? Mm -hmm. Sitting in the back corner, teacher looks at us. We're both six foot three, six foot something, mm -hmm. mustaches. And she's like, I think you guys are in the wrong class. This mm -hmm. is a grade nine class. I'm like, we are in grade nine, <laughs> right? And we're looking like grown men, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, from a basketball perspective, to your point, we became a little bit vertically challenged over the subsequent three, four years where our elite skill sets required seven to 10 more inches. And it is what it is, right? It, it happens. <laughs> But what I exactly, but what I love about this is mm -hmm. right is even as you navigate the story around, you play at a pretty high level in Canadian college basketball, right? The GGs, yep. you have a great career there. Okay, fine. So a professional career is not on the table for you, even though obviously you, myself, anybody who played at a high level like we did, surrounded by guys who did make the league, mm -hmm. right? Anthony Bennett, Andrew mm -hmm. Wiggins, Tyler mm -hmm. Ennis, right? These guys at that time making it into the league. And to your point, an explosion of, of, of skill in the sport in Canada from our city. And yet we're not able to, to have the same success. Fine. But then you pivot. Now you're looking at coaching. So mm -hmm. you do that at a high level, the collegiate level. That's not easy to achieve either. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're not finding a passion there. So then you pivot once again and just the grind and the hustle, right? You go in, you do the legal degree, you're prepping yourself for a, a, a successful career afterwards and laying a foundation, right? You have the work ethic. Mm -hmm. Now it's about getting the accreditation and the education that's going to lend itself well towards some sort of business uh, uh, future, right? Mm -hmm. You know you have connections to athletes, right? We grew up around these guys, Randy and Rosé Management and his company, right? Lots of opportunity there. He's got some major clients in the NBA there's something there, right? And then obviously you see the opportunity and the timing around the entire cannabis legalization in Canada ahead of the US, et cetera, et cetera. At every point, I just see, you know, you grinding and looking at the opportunity and be like, okay, if it's not going to be this, let's figure out the next step, right? Mm -hmm. Not a lot of wasted time. And then once we hit the last four years, I mean, Listen, in grade nine, if I looked at you and, and then fast forwarded, you know, everybody loves Raven style to, or what, sorry, uh, whatever that, that family channel show was, right. And see you in a farmer's hat, right. Uh, surrounded by plants, you know, I would have died laughing, but here we are, it's a reality. And now you're at the helm of a company that's doing really exciting stuff, owning IPs, right. Mm -hmm. I love this story. And I think it's unconventional, but at the same time, it's something that people should listen to and be like, okay, if I'm stuck in something I'm not necessarily happy with, there are opportunities out there that I've never even thought of that may be in front of me that I just need to be prepared to seize once they land there. That's exactly so what it is. It's really what it is, right? And so, you know, I, I really want to jump in and talk about, you know, where you started talking about, okay, so it's not going to be CBD based cannabis type opportunities because the, the opportunity is just too early for the types of athletes you're involved with. Got mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Again, that's another example of you being like, okay, mm -hmm. let's pivot. 
And then you learn about hemp, right? Then you talked about the fact that you were going to events. You were flying out to Calgary. You were reaching out to companies. This is all, right, on a part-time job, you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. This is you investing your own time, your own money, right, Mm -hmm. with really just exploring an area that you just believe very strongly has opportunity. Talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that that specific stage, right? Like how are you reaching out to these companies, to these people and, mm-hmm. and getting a foot in the door? Cause I think mm-hmm. a lot of people might have ideas, but they have no idea to achieve kind of the exposure mm-hmm. that you did and the learning that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, this was very fun times for us. Right. Um, um, it's almost like, um, um, you know, when they say you have to act the part before you get the part, right? That's you know right. What I mean? Like, um, um, I was putting myself out there, not as an agent, but as a, someone who knew these people knew they wanted to get involved. And sometimes just using the right keywords, um, um, me being six foot four, six foot five, um, looking like I run with them, like was able to get me in a lot of rooms. What's actually interesting is in college, I used to hate my height. I love it on the basketball court, but right. you know when you go to like clubs or you're going, you're out, you don't want to be seen. You make yourself smaller. You know what I mean? Sure. I used to hate to be out in a bar or something and everyone can see me because I'm over, over them. Right. But now in the world of business and networking, I was able to use this to my advantage. Of course. I put myself in a room, make myself look big, just look around. Someone's going to catch eye contact with me and then we can start a conversation. Right. Right. It was it was uh, it, it was the complete opposite of what I used to be in school. And used, in school, I remember um, um, I used to have answers. Never would put up my hand to give answers. Right? Would sometimes do work work on um, well, I would do all my work on paper. Didn't like to talk because of a stutter. Um, that happened. That carried with me from high school through to university the first time. But when I said to myself I was going to go to law school, I said, hey, Akeem, every opportunity you have to pick an oral assignment versus a written assignment, you're doing the oral assignment. That's huge. It doesn't matter, right? Like you're going to school and you're doing everything that you never did the first time right. to train myself. So now when I'm back out of it and I'm networking, having ideas, even if I stutter, talk fast, I'm too excited, whatever it is. I'm just putting myself out there to get the reps, getting the practice. And that's just like basketball. You know what I mean? To get a good jump shot, you got to put in the reps. You got to do the work. If you miss a shot, it's okay. You go back, play defense, you get the rebound, you come back, you hit the next one. It was just having that attitude, continuing to put myself out there to new people, not being scared to pick up the phone and call, right? And then it's a bit of luck because as you continue to work hard and do things, Things bounce in your lap. Someone says, hey, let's go do something, right? Be having friends like um, like Randy, he was able to introduce me and put me in front of a lot of people, probably right. way earlier than I was supposed to be in front of them. But just being able to do that, not being scared that someone was going to say no, uh, I was able to build up reps, momentums, um, and my ideas, my innovative mind and everything was able to flourish. Uh, nothing was too much. Nothing wasn't possible. It was like, where in this massive world of opportunity am I going to find the value to be able to bring forth? The last thing that I'll say here is what also motivated me, especially to start in 2017, is that no one I knew that looked like me was doing this. There was no people in it that ran their own company that was providing opportunities for people like us. Um, And that was one of the things I said, if if we start now pre-legalization, by the time legalization hits five, 10 years in, we're going to be so ahead of the game in regards of expertise, having done it before, knowledge base, so on and so forth. And that would allow me to be a mentor to the youth, you know, um, growing up, we've been through it before. You don't get paid to coach the younger generation. You have to go back and volunteer your time. Right. Then those youth grow up and then they go back and volunteer their time. And it's like a habit to train the next generation. And I wanted to do the same thing as an entrepreneur, as someone in the world of cannabis hemp. And that also motivated me to keep me going. That's so huge, right? I think as a, you know, because I think it's really important to understand what your internal motivators are, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's also really important to own those motivators. If Mm -hmm. I think about myself, my motivators very much are 
are recognition, impact, and then monetary. But they're not in the traditional sense of those words, right? If I think about recognition, I don't need anybody to give me a pat on the back. I don't need somebody to outwardly say, hey, Peter, you've done a good job. What I need mm-hmm. is an objective understanding that whatever it is that Peter is doing, he is exceptional at it, right? Mm-hmm. That's the recognition I want. Object- mm-hmm. Objectively for people to recognize that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to impact, I want to look back at my career 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, and be able to objectively look at what I have achieved and Mm -hmm. know it was of significance, right? Mm -hmm. Again, there's that objective piece. Mm -hmm. And I know that those two things require a ton of work. Mm -hmm. And if we look at my three motivators as an equation, you have those two on the left, and then on the right side, you have the monetary reward, right? Mm -hmm. I also know early in my career, I have to disproportionately, you know, over-index on the impact and the recognition piece. Mm -hmm. And then the financial reward's gonna it's gonna you know, it'll lag, but it'll come, and eventually that equation will balance out. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll be disproportionate in the other direction, mm-hmm. right? But it's it's okay to own those three motivators and know them. Mm-hmm. And so, what I like about what you talked about is you had a very philanthropic, you know, altruistic motivator mm-hmm. that was nestled in between what I have to imagine are also very business oriented, mm-hmm. legacy oriented motivators, right? Mm-hmm. Like you wanted to start a company. You wanted that company to be successful. You mm-hmm. wanted to make a name inside of an industry that wasn't being touched in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Those are great motivators. And then you pair that with something so altruistic, that's going to really drive you. Mm-hmm. I think that had to be an accelerator for you. Well, that was the biggest piece because in all of this, well, as I'm doing the numbers, as I'm doing the work, as I'm understanding different industries, especially with what we're doing now with Kinerda, these things, um, 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 my understanding of what my impact is going to be to people, health-wise, community, family-wise, um, societally-wise, um, is going to be amazing. That is motivation enough to do what I'm doing. Right. But when I also see what that means for me, my family, my shareholders, the people who have invested in me, whether it be $500, $1,000, whatever it is, um, up to the biggest in, uh, investors in us, but also the people who invested their time in me. I don't get here today where I am without a lot of people investing time, energy, um, um, working for me, with me, mentoring me, so on and so forth. And the return on investment to those people as well as the economic return on investment for me, my family, and the social impact. For me, it was it, these are the things that push me every day, good or bad day, to know that something that I'm doing, something that I fell into or worked myself into, um, because I did work re- extremely hard to get here, um, um, gets to fulfill all the needs that I have. And, uh, and uh, it, it, like, what, what more can I ask for? Well, I mean, you have no choice with motivators like that. You just have to, yeah. you have to work hard and you have to achieve, right? You have to work every day. Yeah. Right? And what I, what I want to circle back on also, and, and I don't want this to get lost in this conversation is you made a very conscious decision. You said, Hey, I've been struggling with a stutter. Right. And I've been, you know, subconsciously, sometimes consciously making choices to hide from it, right? As opposed to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Then you had a second half to your academia that was going to set you up for your future. And you decided, well, no, no, no. This time I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to push mm-hmm. myself outside of my comfort zone the way that I would have been comfortable doing in sports. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to force myself to overcome this. And mm-hmm. now as we speak today, I mean, you know, the first 20 minutes of this conversation, you told an unbelievable story about the career journey that led you to here. And, you know, it was enthralling, right? And and I'm sitting here and smiling and nodding the whole time. And I'm sure the audience is as well. Mm -hmm. That is evidence of of a a good good decision that was made. But I think that takes a level of maturity that different people hit at different times to realize that something Mm -hmm. like that's necessary. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, from from here, I definitely, after commenting on that, want to talk a little bit more now about you breaking into essentially and making a decision that you're just going to invest, right? And you're going to grow this hemp. You're going to solve the the supply chain, right? In Ontario. And that's a crazy idea. That's a big, hairy, audacious goal. And you immediately did it, right? 
Um, but from there, I think it was probably a differentiator for you because you think about other startups, technology startups, people have an algorithm, they have an idea, they have an app, they have a small prototype, right? And that's what they shop around. You can't smell that. You can't touch it. You can't walk amidst it, right? You can't put boot to soil on an app or an algorithm. Well, Yet for you, you invited people out to your farm mm-hmm. and that's a concrete thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it had to be a big difference maker. It was amazing for my confidence. It was amazing to do the work. It was amazing to see the reception of people to when they came out and said, um, I remember one of our one of um, our high school friends came up and he was saying to another high school friend, like, who would do this? Yeah, of course, Akeem would, right? It's Akeem, right? And just hearing these things, I'm like, yeah, like I've always had it in me a little bit to take risks, think a little bit different, so on and so forth. But when we made the decision to lease land, we're going to go do this, figure out a way to make it happen, right? It was just manifest, um, manifesting in a way that I never done before so far out there on my own, right? Um, um, on my own accord. Like, again, for me, that was so risky because I took the money that I, fortunately, we just got it paid off and said to my mom, hey, can I use this to go build on a farm? Right. And my mom was crazy enough to let me. I to go build out a farm. But my mom said, Akeem, do you think you could do it? And I said, yes, I know I could figure this out, right? I'll work, outwork everyone. I had actually, God, Peter, I'll show you here on my iPad. I, t- I saw Diddy post this one day, outwork everyone. Since that day in 2017, it's been on my computer. I love that. I knew that this is the only way that we, we can get to where we were, we were going to get, I had to work 365 or when we founded the, uh, the company in 2017, we named it Atlas 365 because Atlas, the Titan, the pillar of the world being a sustainable pillar is what I wanted to do. And, but I knew I had to work every day to be able to beat these other companies. Right. And that's how we got the 365. I love that. And I think, you know, the idea of outworking every, everybody, that is such an easy concept to just to, to internalize and then just make it real, right? Like it, it's something that is a choice. Outworking is a choice. And that's, let's circle back to sports, you know, offensive talent is something that you're either born with or you can work towards, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not as much of a choice as defense is. Defense is hustle mm-hmm. and it's effort. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, somebody who's not athletic, who's not big, you know, let's Matthew Delvadova, perfect example, high level defender, right? But that the dude, the dude looks like a blogger, right? And yet, look what he's doing in the finals X number of years ago, right? So that's just a, a great analogy of, of the same thing. You can outreach your capabilities so far by just doing the work, right? And I think that's an important thing. And the fact that you decided to have that as a background, look at it a hundred times a day for years on end, because mm-hmm. that's going to be a reminder and a driver. That's a conscious decision that anyone can make and it can have an impact on how they work. Mm-hmm. But this other idea of every day, I mean, when we were talking prior to doing the podcast, you talked about, you know, the physical space that I look at you, you're in right now, right? You have an office, you, you, you got an office together with Randy mm-hmm. and you talk about the fact that you've been in there every day, no matter what rain or shine, whether you wanted to or not, Talk about the type of impact that that has had over the last four years as you tried to grow this business. Well, that is that has been one of the most powerful things, I think, for myself. Um, when I was able to convince Randy to go halves on, on um, pre- previously, it was this little closet in a region <laughs> this building. We were back to back, but I was like, Randy, we need to go halves on this. We need somewhere to work because if we have somewhere that we can get out of our house and come in and lock in, It'll do wonders for us. Thank God Randy came, visited. He said yes, and we were able to do it because having that as my space, um, uh, like I, I said to everyone, rain or shine, tears, wanting to quit or happy as I can be, I'm here, right? There's right. so many days uh, sick or whatever it is. Randy will walk in the office. I'll be here sleeping. Maybe I'm droopy. I don't feel like it today. Randy's like, yo, what's wrong with you? I'm, no, 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 I'm going home. But I came to the office is the important thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it just puts me in the habit of feeling good. And then you realize that, you know what? Regardless of what's going on, this is this is your office. This is your space. You worked yourself into position to be here. You have the tools that you need to figure out whatever is going on. 
go home, go to sleep, come back the next day, boom, you're back at work. Things are happening. You know what I mean? For me, this is, has been an incredible motivator, um, an incredible tool, especially in COVID because having your own office meant I can go into my office um, socially distance by myself, quiet, get work done. Um, um, again, just for me, it's accelerated my growth in a way that, you know, t- you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of back in university of Ottawa, actually, um, in college when you have 24 hour libraries. So after right. practice, you can go to the library, spend all night, you night doing your work, being able to get myself a, an environment where I could do that here. Yeah. Uh, worked wonders for me with all the habits we picked up over the years. Yeah. And, you know, I love that because it's one of the biggest things that I personally, a, a, a person who thrives on in-person interaction when it comes mm-hmm. to my professional life, you know, have really, really missed mm-hmm. um, over the last two years. And, you know, people adapt. And I think that, you know, I've learned to do that well. But, man, I can't wait to have what you described, right, where, you know, the, the transition from home to office as you get there, everything turns on, the synapses start firing differently because you're in a different air, you're in a different space, you're in, and, and you know, there's an energy around you and you channel that and it, get, it helps you get work done. And I, and I think that understanding that mm-hmm. and making a conscious decision to, to mm-hmm. solve that for yourself is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Tell you a funny thing um, as well. When I was learning about green buildings earlier, I had found that Harvard had done a study that said people who work in green buildings they have increased cognitive scores of, I think, 36%. If you work in a um, in an enhanced green building, that could be up to 50%, something like What's that. What's that based on? Uh, they, did a, they, they did a study, and it was probably um, work efficiencies of people who are working in lead buildings, certified buildings, versus people who are working in buildings with bad air fl- filtration uh, and so on. Interesting, right? interesting, interesting. I read this years, of, years ago when I was focused on the green buildings, but- no, interesting enough is we're in a lead building here. I picked it on purpose. So I think it also, the green building helped to boost my productivity. But look at it, like you're channeling it every, in every part of your life after you decided that you were going all in on this idea and this path, yeah. right? Yeah. Even in the place you decided to have your space, yeah. probably made it more expensive, right? You still took the risk and you made sure, you know what, if I'm going to be building a future with a material that can help build you know, green buildings. Well, I'm going to get in a green building and see what the benefit is like. Right. So I think even that making that conscious decision, like it's just an example of the fact that you need to be making these conscious decisions along the way that set you up for the future success that you want. Right. Even if that success manifests in a different way than you expect it to, it's about being prepared to take advantage of whatever opportunities come your way. Right. And so from here, right, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, okay, so you're building, you're growing hemp, right? You're, you're doing something real concrete. You have something. And then, you know, you're starting to get a couple of connections. You get involved with these uh, professors from university of Guelph, but now you get into the space of seeing opportunity in IP. Uh That is a shift again, right? Away from simply growing something that you're going to solve supply chain issues with. No, no, no. Now you're talking about innovating in a technology space, biotech more, moreover, Talk about the shift to that and, and, you know, what, how did you figure that out? Right. Cause that's something you did on the fly as well. And, you know, let, let's, let's get into that a little bit. Again, everything always comes back to the ability that we learn um, growing up as a student athlete. You know, every year when you get put on a new team, you have to blend with new teammates, learn to work together to again, win a championship. So once I realized that this is what um, our goals were, this is what I was contracted to do, or else I would lose the IP. My instinct initially turned to who are the people that I'm going to build this with? Right. Who are the people who can help me do the physical part of extracting, taking the same hemp we had on the farm, but now extracting out these molecules that we're looking at. Um, fortunately, again, I had the law school degree, so I was able to look at the patent application and understand what was going on, how I had to defend this, what the next key dates were to get things in by. So that I was able to do. And I was able to ask informative questions to lawyers that were able to help me make smarter business decisions. 
I leaned on the professors. Again, I need to learn what's going on. Can you help me? It was like I was getting uh, uh, a PhD or a postdoc on the go, right? right. All the time I was calling them, hey, what does this mean? What's this mechanism of action? So what's this, right? I had a really good mentor, mentor that was very helpful to me. She helped break down what the early stage of the business development opportunity could be how to look at this in relation to what was going on with CBD and then how we could use that foundation to build a business plan upon after. So again, for me, everything always goes back to the things that we learned as kids growing up in basketball. We want to win this championship. Who are the best teammates that I'm going to pick um, to be able to work with that are going to be able to elevate me and allow me to do the things that I do best um, while also managing them to get things done so that the company can move forward. Right. Um, um, It was about doing that. And then the biggest challenge was how am I going to fund this? Because now I just made promises to the professor of I'm going to get into a research contract. We're going to file this. We're going to commercialize scale up manufacturing. Where am I going to do this? I don't have a space, so on and so forth. So again, Back to straight hustle. <laughs> Talk to everyone you can, all your friends and family, um, the people that you know, the former clients that you know, people that even flopped on deals on us in the past. Hey, I'm doing this now. Are you interested? And that I was able to use to set my tunnel wide and then just narrow, 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 continuing to dig on the right people, um, push the right buttons here, there, wherever I needed to, to get things done. So in January, um, we acquired, uh, well, the phone call with the professors happened March of 2020. We acquired the IP in June of 2020, spent the rest of the year building with our team, um, taking the IP from lab scale extraction where it had been done before and doing it on our own as a company to being able to get um, an investor and some of our friends and family are more of a strategic partner investor and our friends and family to commit in December, January to precede us. So we were able to raise about $568,000 wow. to get things going at that point. After that, we were able to raise a little bit more money in Atlas 365 to keep things going. And again, over the last year, it's been continuing to build, continuing to network. We added a really really good senior medical advisor, one of the leaders in the cannabis space and Dr. Ethan Russo. Um, today we're working with the University of Alberta, um, principal investigator to explore our molecules for drug development, characterization, and what they can be in the future. Right. There's a doctor named Dr. Neil Davies. Um, Dr. Russo and Dr. Davies are unique because both of them are are um, scientists, doctors, um, leaders in their respective space. Dr. Russo working for GW Pharma, the only company to have an FDA approved CBD medicine, one of the preeminent leaders right. in the medical cannabis space. I like to call him the Michael Jordan of cannabis. <laughs> That's how I call Dr. Russo. Wow. We were able to bring him onto our team and then Dr. Neil Davies, You know, when you go to school and you go to class to learn something, um, a science class, um, um, Dr. Russo wrote the book on flavonoid pharmacokinetics, the book that you would get at university to read. Oh, wow. Okay. So we couldn't ask for anyone better to take our molecules at the University of Alberta and explore what these can be. So again, the Scotty Pippen now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this is just how things seem to be coming together. We have a really good group of strategic investors now, a really good team of people to help us execute. And we're continuing now um, in the midst of our $2 million seed rate round to look for strategic advisors, um, partners, people who, who can help us build a business and take the next step. I love this journey because all of the things that we're doing, we're learning how to do them. Um, We're learning very fast. We're being able to execute and we continue to get validation as we grow. And when you hear the story of where we come from and all the work that we had to do to get here, for me, it's so encouraging when people see what we're doing now because they're like, wow, first, look how far you've come. Right. Two, now look how far you can go with the right resources, the right mentoring. Um, where this company can go is and is boundless. Like, it's so exciting to me. Well, what I, and what I love about this, you talk about where you've come from, right? And as, let's say, for example, you're out there and you're pitching your story, you're trying to get investors. 
Like if they could, for example, hear the fact that once you bought this farm, you took this risk, you believed so strongly in it, mm-hmm. or you leased the farm, I should say, mm-hmm. and then, but you had no idea how to plant and extract and essentially work the farm. So you mm-hmm. drive around to neighboring farms and simply ask that, that level of, I'm just going to figure it out and do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. I think you'd be crazy not to draw confidence from mm-hmm. that where X number of years later, you now as an individual who's partnered with major, let's forget major players, the Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen of the space you're in, right? Like mm-hmm. now that that has to be a really strong confidence instilling thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to highlight that because to me, even when you said that, I was like, that's nuts. That's nuts. Let me invest the next three years of my finances and my life in something that I have no idea how to work, but mm-hmm. I believe in deeply. And I'm just going to do whatever it takes to find out mm-hmm. uh, how to how to do it. And and you know, I think again, now I imagine you not just in a in in a uh, farmer's hat standing in a field, but now I imagine you walking from from farm for farm, you know, trying to figure this out. And it's just like I love where where it started where it is i think anyone who's listening to this like there's nothing but inspiration to draw from this and mm-hmm. to apply these same type of mentalities into your day job doesn't matter if you're in corporate doesn't matter if you're in medical if you're in academia these are completely transferable and that's what i love about this mm-hmm. um and i think boundless is is absolutely correct so i mean you know let's i want to ask you you know as we kind of come to to a close on the conversation is let's say 20 30 years from now right what what do you want Atlas three six five to have become, and kind of what is the impact that you want it to have left on the world? I know you talked about paving the path for your community, right, around being entrepreneurs, but mm-hmm. but you know for your legacy around what you're building with this company, where, where does it where does it go? Two things, two, two thousand and nineteen heading into two thousand and twenty, um, me and I might might our team at Atlas we did a. a an exercise where we set our next decade goals, right? Right. Um, where do we want to be in 10 years? And the first goal that I wrote down was that in 2030, in 2030, Atlas turns 13 years old, or I think it would be 12 years old because of when we were incorporated, but you, right. you get the point, right? Right. We're alive in 10 years. That's goal number one. And for us to be alive, that means we would have had to impact the world. Um, 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 in every single way that our mission statement laid out, building sustainable solutions with industrial hemp to help make the world a better place. Now, a little bit like we talked about today, that has to do with what we're doing with Kinerda and our building materials. Our building materials will probably get to in the latter part of the decade, because if there's anything I've learned as an entrepreneur is you have to be have be focused. If you don't have deep pockets, work on one thing at a time, execute, build investor trust, um, shareholder value, get to your exit, make your impact. And then the next venture that you start will become easier. You'll make less mistakes, so on and so forth. Right. right. So how I see this playing out is Atlas is sort of like our parent, our holding company, and we will have multiple different ventures, ventures that I've incubated that we've worked on over the last four years that we can slowly but surely roll out. Now, in regards to Kinerda and what we're doing there, this is a very, very big mission that we're um, that we're on and a huge problem that we're solving. Inflammatory related diseases kill are responsible for 50% of all all human mortality. Everything starts as systematic chronic inflammation, then turns into heart disease, tumors, um, um, arthritis, um, neurodegenerative disease, Alzheimer's, more, right? So if we can solve that problem in chronic inflammation, we'll be able to help a lot of people. And drug development takes a long time, but it's a path well worth it, especially with the roadmap that we have. The ability that we have to do this in a safe way is extremely exciting because not only can we help people deal with their inflammatory related diseases, but also deal with their pain. And in North America, and around the world, we're just now coming out out of an opioid crisis. A lot of people have been using things like Oxycontin, heroin, fentanyl. We know that overdose deaths are rising um, because people are in pain and they need solutions. And unfortunately, they've become addicted. 
One of the things that we're most excited about our molecules is their safety profile, the non-toxicity of it. All the historical literature and information that we have tells us that these molecules should be able to help people in a safe way. Right. I, flavonoids and polyphenols are in all of our fruits and vegetables. And in the countries that eat the most fruits and vegetables and polyphenol diets in the world, they have longer lifespans than we do in North America. Right. So I know that even just in Canada, the mission that we have, the amount of work that we have to do, this is going to be great on its own. If we're lucky enough to be able to build this and implement some of our other ideas, the next 20 to 30 years are going to be the most fun time of my life. Akeem, I don't know how to describe this in any other word other than inspiring. And I think that anyone who listens to this will feel the same way. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate your time in helping tell this story and just all the learnings that people can take out of this, the learnings I've taken out of it. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm just excited to, to do this again a year from now or whenever to see where you're at, what success is, the advancements that, that have kind of come to fruition since, since today. Uh, I don't know what to tell, else to say, but thank you. And, uh, you know, let's, let's check in in a bit and see where we're at. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate you having me. This was fun. We'll definitely do it again. <laughs>